This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, and I'm here with Scott Eklund. Kim Grinnell's still a little under the weather. We're hoping that he's going to be okay starting next week because next week is a huge week for Washington football. Obviously, everyone's getting all jazzed up about the beginning of spring practices. It's always a fun part of the part of the year. Sun is finally out. It kind of feels like spring is happening again, Scott. Do you get mm-hmm. you get that sense? Yeah, well, I mean, the the we I've definitely sensed a change in the weather. I it, you know it we've still gotten a little bit of rain here and there, but it's not the deluge we were getting every day. It seems like so. Uh, yeah, it's it's nicer weather. I've been going out for walks with my boys, going and playing some soccer in the in the uh, on the playgrounds with them and doing different stuff. So uh, definitely can feel that spring feel in the air. There you go. Now, um, <clears throat> we did have, not to, to bring up a touchy subject for us, but we did have a podcast <laughs> that we were working on uh, a week ago. But unfortunately, there were, uh, I don't know, there were <laughs> monsters. I don't want to call I would normally call it a user error because I was the one recording it, but that was not my fault. <laughs> no, no, no. But for some reason, uh, yeah, for some reason, uh, didn't, was not able to generate a recording. After talking for well over an hour, which was yeah. unfortunate. Um, it doesn't happen to us very often. I think we can count them on less than one hand over the many, many, many years that we've been doing podcasts. Mm-hmm. But, uh, we are going to touch again on the, uh, a couple of the final spring previews that we've just put up. Um, you know, we are done now with our spring previews. That's another reason we kind of know that we're so close to yep. the beginning of spring football is that we're done. We're ready to go. We're ready to roll on this thing. Um, let's start with the kind of the uh, secondary. We did, obviously, we did uh, a couple of them, a couple different ones. We I, I broke um, broke them up into the first one being the cornerback position, which is not just the cornerback but the slot or what these coaches call the husky position, ironically mm-hmm. enough. Yep. That's what they called it at Fresno. So, um we talked a little bit about that, and then we'll talk about the safety position as well. And then after a quick break, we will talk a little bit about the scheduling for spring football. We'll talk a little bit about kind of the recruiting that's going to be going side-by-side side with spring football. We'll touch a little bit about about those things as well. But uh, with these DB stuff, and I guess we'll also talk a little bit about special teams. Uh, we, don't, we, do, we do not want to give them short shrift. Uh, as no, far as that no. Goes. And, Very important and, part of the, and, the team. So. Yes, and you just you just put a preview out, preview out yesterday on that stuff. So definitely want to make sure that that gets covered as well. Um, starting with the cornerbacks, though, obviously the biggest thing is trying to replace Trent McDuffie, trying to replace Kyler Gordon, and then also when you add in the slot, trying to replace um, Bookie Radley Hiles. Yeah, you three huge components to last year's success. Statistically, the best pass defense in all of college football, not just the Pac-12. And I think a lot of people will look at that and go, well, yeah, that's right, because Washington's run defense was a sieve and no one <laughs> needed to pass the ball. That's true. I get that 100%. That still should not take away from just how good Trent McDuffie, Kyler Gordon, and Boogie Radley Hiles were uh, when it came to pass defense and, and, you know, offenses trying to go up against those guys. Scott, just in general, how do you see Washington kind of attacking that aspect of things in the offseason, not just with player acquisition, but also maybe trying to move some people around and trying to get some guys in in positions where they could compete for starting jobs in the spring? Yeah, I you know, I I think they they addressed some of that with uh, the pickup of Jordan Perryman um, out of uh, UC Davis. Um, you know, uh, what third team all American last year at the FCS level, really good player. You've seen some of the way he's changed his body. Chris, you did a good job of posting those, those pictures that the, that, uh, McKeefrey put posted out there of, of some before and after pics of guys. And Jordan Perryman looks like an absolute freak of nature athletically. Um, I mean, he's huge. He's long. He's experienced. He's got a lot of, a lot of productivity at the level that he played at wanted to give uh, himself a shot at this level because he wanted to see if he could compete and also get himself ready for the NFL. So uh, that's why he came. I think that's one of the ways they addressed it. The other way, Chris, I, and I think you kind of touched on it is moving guys into the different positions to make sure that they get the best players on the field. Jacoby Covington was a guy that we watched last spring and last uh, fall camp, and we thought there was a good chance he was going to play quite a bit. And for whatever reason, 
they just, even with Trent McDuffie out, Michelle Powell took over and he's, you know, I don't want to give short shrift to him. He's, he's definitely a guy who can come out and play and, and do some things. But I think Jacoby Covington has that extra special oomph, whatever you want to call it, where, uh, he can be the next great, one of the next great corners to come out of this, this program. And I think right now you're probably looking at, and you, Chris, you've got it listed on your, your, uh, cornerback depth chart as Covington and Perryman are kind of the top two guys. And I totally agree with you on that. I think Michelle Powell is a great, uh, option for them at, as a, you know, third corner or possibly even over at the nickel husky spot. Although I think Dominic Hampton is that guy, but yeah, Chris, I mean, lots of moving parts, lots of different ways they're going to use these guys and move them around. And, and, uh, and Washington's got some guys that, uh, are intriguing, especially Devon Banks, who was injured before his, what would have been his senior year. And Washington picked him up on the cheap. I, you know, you could say that because they really didn't compete against anybody, but this guy was a top, I don't know, top 100 junior or junior to be. Before he earned, before he hurt himself. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, uh, they end up doing at the cornerback and, and, uh, Husky spot. Yeah. There's no doubt Davon Banks could be a guy that could really rise up the charts yeah. quickly based on how, how, how fully he bounces back from mm-hmm. his injury and kind of gets himself sorted out in that way because there's no doubt they, they, the guy's got some physical potential. Clearly, he was a player that everyone thought very highly of before he got hurt. Um, and Michelle Powell, again, we talked a little bit about Mish Powell. He's, he's a guy that has earned his way, earned a scholarship. We obviously have a lot of respect for those guys, you know, especially on defense, whether you're talking about a Ryan Bowman, uh, Eddie Ulafoscio, you know, there's just some of those guys, um, you know, uh, Miles Bryant, I mean, different circumstances, mm-hmm. but obviously those guys come with the idea of trying to earn a scholarship. And when you do that, that's, that's a real testament to their ability and their work ethic. Um, what I find is going to be really interesting is when you find a guy who was clearly recruited by the previous staff for a very specific position, like Dyson McCutcheon to mm-hmm. be kind of that next guy after Bookie Riley Hiles in the slot, but he's, he's probably not going to fit the mold. <laughs> of what we would expect to see in in the hybrid position that the new Washington coaches want to use. So mm-hmm. does it is it automatically assumed that he would play corner or does he move to safety? These are yeah. obviously all questions that we're that we want to find out about uh once the, the once the first practice hits on Wednesday. Uh and then of course you've got some some other good walk-on guys that are clearly trying to uh position themselves to try to get a scholarship too whether you're talking about Case and Kinchin from Lake Stevens, Mekki Pei from uh Hawaii, you know, you've got some you've got some interesting blends here. Um and I don't want to leave out Elijah Jackson either because I thought Elijah Jackson was really physical and kind of followed in the mold of a Jacoby Covington and that's why I have him right behind Covington in my depth chart at least going into mm-hmm. spring. Yeah. Uh, in terms of that that type of position. Um it is the one position where you do feel like even though they lost if you include the the nickel position, the one that that Radley Hiles was in, when you lose three starters like that, it doesn't feel like the drop off is as extreme as it might normally be under uh, different circumstances. And I think that's a testament to the way the previous, not just how the previous staff recruited, but also what the new staff has done in terms of getting a player like Perryman from the portal who could come in and maybe make an impact right away. Yeah. And, you know, the, and they're different body styles too. I mean, yeah. Perryman and Powell and Covington kind of have, and Jackson and Elijah Jackson all have that same body size, but Dyson McCutcheon and Case and Kitchen are not those big physical guys and Devon Banks he's kind of in that tweener mold between the two of them so lots of different and Mecky Pay is is on the shorter side so um you know or at least you know he's not that 6-2 range so I mean Chris you, you and I have were around for the run and shoot and how how did defensive battle that they they got guys who are 5-9-5-10 and could run with the guys who are in the run and shoot well then they go to a more you know then receivers started to get bigger and now defensive backs have gotten bigger and so it's it's kind of fun funny to watch how things evolve and who pushes who and why why the offense does what it does and why the defense ends up doing what it does so um yeah i i mean it's 
it, it does speak to the way the old staff recruited, but like you said, Chris, it also speaks to how the new staff is kind of moving around their chess pieces around the board. Yeah, and, and remember, we are just talking about spring, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, but they did recruit a player out of Texas, JV on Green, who could probably play either safety or DB or, or corner was at, was, was brought in to play corner initially, but he's another kid who's 6'2", Scott. I mean, he's a kid yep. in the, you know, in the, in the Covington mold, in the Jackson mold, who's a bigger, rangier, athletic guy. They, they're trying to kind of keep that spirit alive when you're trying to find guys that can make a difference. Cause you know, they're going to have to be bigger to, to go up against some of those bigger, more athletic, more physical, receivers in the Pac-12 for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And then moving over to that corner, this is where we're probably going to have the bigger discussion simply because in the past, they, the Husky staff has used guys that were obviously very physical, could play up to the line of scrimmage, play in the box, you know, whether it was a Miles Bryant or Bookie, Bookie Radley Hiles, those types of players. Now, when you look back at how the Fresno State defensive coaches used their nickel their slot guy, what they would call the Husky. It was much more of a hybrid instead of a hybrid of a corner safety. It was much more of a hybrid between like a safety linebacker. Mm-hmm. So basically a, a DB, but within a linebacker's body. And so that's why we're talking about guys like Dominique Hampton. We're talking about now, and this is a total, you know, um, I'm throwing darts here at the board trying to figure out based on the body types that they used in Fresno, what body types in the defensive backs room that Washington currently has that they could use. Because we looked at Demario King, for instance, we thought, okay, 6'3", 215, probably coming in as a Husky. Yep. Nope. He's coming in as a line. I know. I know. So, so, so we're not quite sure exactly how these guys are going to be used. Um, I kind of thought, to be honest with you, I thought Cam Bright might end up being a Husky. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. he played out at space as their star linebacker at Pittsburgh. But nope, he's going to be strictly an inside guy as well. So when we're looking at the body type strictly from the defensive backs room, we're looking at Dom Hampton. We're looking at maybe an Asa Turner, uh, Cam Fabi-Kalan, and uh, maybe even like a Julius Irvin. Um, these types of body types. Because mm-hmm. uh, at Fresno, they use guys that were – Anywhere from like 5'11", 195 to like 6'6", 220. So, oh, that's, yeah, me. see, I haven't even looked at that part yet. That's weird. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, even... so you, you tell me what kind of body type they're going to use for the Husky. So again, like I said, I'm kind of, we're kind of going with the wind here and trying to figure out at least until we see them physically line up in groups. Yeah. We can let the, the fans know exactly how we're seeing these guys kind of getting broken down in terms of positions. I'm kind of curious to, 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 to get your take on whether or not this is just a, a, a perfect fit for a guy like Dom Hampton, or do you think that there are other guys that, uh, that should, that, that, that might make a difference here? Well, I, I definitely have an opinion, and some of it was formed off of what Coach DeBoer said in his press conference on signing day, which was that a guy like Dominic Hampton is the prototypical Husky for him. And I think it's not just his size, cause what is he, 6'2", 220? Whatever yeah, so, it is. Yeah, right around there, 215. 6'2", whatever it is. But he also, because of what he did in high school and because of the fundamentals he's had, he can cover uh guys man-to-man. And he's got those man-to-man cover skills. And so I I think they're going to – I I mean, honestly, the, the depth chart that you have, Jordan Perryman, Jacoby Covington, Dominique Hampton – Unless something weird happens, I don't see that changing. I think that's actually going to be your starting three at the cornerback, the two cornerbacks in the Husky position. And I mean, Dominic Hampton needs to be on that field. I, I don't, unless he's just a complete liability and I didn't see that at all last year in the, in the moments he was on, on the field. I, I, unless he's just a complete liability out there, I, I just don't know how you can't have a guy who's six two two twenty and can run like he does and loves to stick his nose in there and hit guys and and do those things. I I gotta believe that he's gonna be on the field quite a bit this fall. Yeah, well, there's no doubt. I mean, he's flashed so much potential and has really played a number of different places along that uh, along that back line yep. uh, over the years. But you know, we've always just assumed that every spring he was gonna come out. He was going to dominate. He was going to be one of those corners. He was going to be mm-hmm. one of those safeties. He was going to be one of those guys that you could 
not deny being on the field because of his physical and athletic attributes. But <clears throat> for some reason, it just has never fully worked out for him where he became like an indispensable starter, like a, yeah. like a McDuffie or a Gordon or a Radley Hiles, for instance. Um, and there's no doubt with a new staff, fresh start, all that kind of stuff, it makes total sense that a guy like Dominique Hampton should get every opportunity to make a difference. And it feels like, at least on paper, that the Husky position is the position he should be making the most hay at. Absolutely. Now, who plays behind him is yeah, going to be a huge question, and that's why. Yeah, you you have a. You have Asa Turner in there as the, as his backup. And from a body style standpoint, I completely agree with you. I just don't know if Asa has those man to man coverage skills. Cameron Fabi Kulanen does. And I could see a situation where you have him in there as your kind of second guy. And then Dyson McCutcheon, depending on who they, or, or even Case and Kinchin, depending on who the opposition throws in there, maybe those guys can man up against those guys. You know, maybe you have, Dominique Hampton as your first and second down guy. But if it's third and long, like third and 10 or more, they're going to, they're going to need to be more of a coverage guy. So then you have Dyson McCutcheon or Case and Kinchin come in. Um, I don't know if that makes sense to you, Chris, but just the way they need to be mobile in the way they, they use that, that position, I think. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, clearly you want guys who, are excelling in pass coverage in those passing downs. If you're, you know, you're anticipating tendencies, right? I mean, that's the biggest thing. And if you can successfully anticipate tendencies by putting in the right player at the right time, then you're that much more ahead in the game. So that, that certainly is going to be one more thing to look for. And obviously when we talk to not only coach DeBoer, but again, but talk to Chuck Morrell, uh, William Inge, the co-DCs, um, you know, talk to Julius Brown, the, the the corners coach. You know, we're going to get a much better idea of kind of their rationale and their kind of laundry list of attributes that they want to see in the player that plays the Husky position. And like you said, when you when you listen to DeBoer, it certainly screamed out Dom Hampton. Yeah, and absolutely. for all the things that he said, so those guys may just parrot that. They may just say the same types of things. But I'll be I'll be really curious how that position gets fleshed out, not only by the players that end up playing it, but also by the things that they are going to expect out of those players. Is this simply going to be a nickel situation, or are they going to blitz more? Are are they going to yeah. ask them for a lot more run responsibility because they're going to be playing closer to the box? Yeah. Is he going? Is that Husky going to play more as a third linebacker a lot of the times? I don't really know. And And again, even watching a lot of the Fresno State, now I didn't watch a ton of like actual game, full games, but just watching some of the highlight clips and things like that, it was difficult to really tell a lot of nuanced differences between like how Cam Bright was used at Pitt, for instance. I mean, mm -hmm. I saw a lot of similarities in that way, and that's why I kind of thought that Bright might end up being a Husky, and you never know. He yeah. might end up having to play some of that, some of that position at some points. Because of his instincts. Talked about. Yeah, because of his instincts. Yeah. Well, and also based on what you just talked about. The fact yeah. that based on down and distance, if it's third and one or three or whatever, if it's a, mm -hmm. looks like it's going to be a rundown, they might want to bring him in as a, as a bigger guy that can handle or the fits. Or Demario King. Yeah. Or Demario exactly. King. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. So moving over to safety, obviously because we're looking at guys like Hampton and, and Turner, maybe moving over and, and being more into the competition for the Husky. Now we're having to kind of play a little bit of musical chairs with the safety position, but at least when it comes to the first two guys, the guys that probably at least I would see as being the number one guys starting out in spring, that doesn't change too much for me. You look at Cam Williams, Cameron Williams, you look at Alex Cook. If you go back and look at the snaps, you go back and look at the tackles and the statistics and whatnot, those two guys were by far the most productive mm -hmm. uh, of the of the guys that would be playing safety, given what you know, kind of how the depth chart, my depth chart, is kind of panned out. And then behind them would be Julius Irvin and Mikel Esteen. Um, I really thought Esteen had a chance to maybe do a little bit of things last year, but clearly they wanted to redshirt him, or you know, they they had mm -hmm. other ideas for him. Um, are you seeing? Are you seeing any? differences in what you would say is that the kind of the depth chart those the two deeps do you think 
that that's probably how it would pan out at least to start. Well, so we just talked about uh, the Husky position, and, and I had said that I don't know if uh, – um, uh, gosh, uh, Asa Turner, sorry. Uh, Asa Turner was the, uh, could be that guy in coverage. I think I could see a situation where you have the – because right now you have Alex Cook, Mikel Steen, and Zakari Spears – back there at safety. And I think I could see a situation where Zakari Spears is more of a Husky than, yep. than he is a safety, but I don't disagree with what you have up there right now. Uh, Cameron Williams, Julius Irvin, Vince Nunley on one side and Alex Cook, Michaela Steen and Zakari Spears on the other. The thing is, Chris, and you, you know, you and I both know this is you could have Cameron Williams and Julius Irvin in there at safety because the safeties right. are kind of interchangeable. Right. So we could have just put a list of safety and then just the top two are the starters, you know, because well, the of the way thing, they do yeah, it. Well, but you yeah. bring up a good point. Honestly, Scott, you bring up a good point. Not only was Spears kind of my one example of the musical chairs thing, because he uh-huh. could, he could literally play corner, nickel, yeah. safety. He could play it all. I mean, he's got that body type. Um, I think now it's just a matter of not only where he fits and, and is the most comfortable, but also the position where he probably sees the most time and can be yeah. the most competitive. That said, in Jimmy Lake's scheme over the years, he's always talked about the safeties being the being mirrors instead of uh-huh. like a true free and strong. Mm-hmm. Now, is that the way that Chuck Morrell is going to look at this? Does yeah, he play mirrored safeties or does he play free and strong? I don't know. Yeah. Um, that will go a long ways towards informing a little bit more of, of how those guys are going to be year, used. Um, you know, and again, that's, that's where when we see them line up on Wednesday, that'll give us a much better idea. Um, and hopefully we will get a chance to see them line up a little bit and, and move around and, and kind of see where the bodies, uh, end up, so to speak. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it just at, at this point, again, I feel like with the defensive batch room, it is a bunch of musical chairs out there with the Husky position. Being so, the, the the physical demands of the position, at least on paper, being so different than what the previous Washington staff would have asked of their nickel, mm-hmm. it really does throw an entirely different dimension into like how these guys are going to be used because they just the old staff just didn't recruit for that kind of hybrid player. Yep. Um, they did recruit bigger. Don't get me wrong. They did recruit bigger players. Obviously, a, a Dom Hampton is a good example of that. Asa Turner is a good example of that. We all remember when Asa Turner was getting recruited. One of the biggest differences was that Washington recruited him as a safety, which he wanted to play. Notre Dame wanted him as a linebacker. Yep. Now you can kind of see where that hybrid fits in. Um, but it'll be a huge, it'll be a huge, um, point of interest when we see them line up exactly how at least their initial thoughts that clearly over the 15 practices, Scott, a lot will change a lot yeah. will change, but at least how they see it on paper starting out will be very interesting to see. And I'll, I'll be curious to see how close I am on this. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be that close. I hope I am, <laughs> but I, I don't, I, let's put it this way on the confidence scale to take a, to take a, a, a tip from uh, our interns from Jack and Luke, when they would do a confidence scale, my confidence skill is probably about right in the middle, right at five. Yeah. I don't yeah. feel I feel confident, but I don't feel totally confident about it. Yeah, I I mean there really is no way to know because we're still getting to know these coaches and how they coach things and how they want to do things and how they want to run things. So we're we're giving you guys our best guess from what we've heard and the little bit that we've that we've been able to chat with them and and talk with them and take little nuggets here and there and and run with it. So, uh, you know, just be patient with us. We will get this better as we get to know these coaching, this coaching staff a little bit better. All right. So let's move to the special teams. Okay. And you just put this out on Friday. So this is fresh in everyone's mind. A lot of it is fairly self-explanatory, especially when we take into account, um, the moves that this new staff made to take into account for the graduation of a guy like race Porter for instance, mm-hmm. um, you know, everything else kind of makes sense. Everything else kind of is, is slotted how you would expect it to be. Um, I'm just kind of curious. Do you see a guy like Kevin Ryan, who they got from Idaho state? Do you see him being a, a like a flat out race, uh, Porter clone 
and and how he will fit in with Tristan Brown, or do you feel like there's going to be a little shift in that dynamic? Well, yeah, it's real hard to tell because why would they go out and get Kevin Ryan if they felt good about Tristan Brown? So obviously they're not feeling that great about Tristan Brown at this point. Now, well, I can I can try to answer that real quick. Yeah. Kevin Ryan was a guy who not only punted at Iowa yeah. State, but he also kicked. Yeah, I get that. And, too. and they clearly need a backup for Peyton Henry. So I don't want to yeah. jump too far ahead, but I, I see the dual role where they feel like they probably got a two for one. And I, and I get that. And he's a walk on too. He's not a scholarship guy at right. this point. So, um, but I mean, Race Porter had a booming leg. It, his problem was early on, at least, was that he was inconsistent. As he got older, he got more consistent, but he could boom it. Last year, he averaged over 48 yards of uh, punt, Chris. Yep. yep. I mean, that's insane. For the amount of times he punted, that is insane. He punted over five times per game. I'll have so, to remember because I think Kiel Rasp was, yeah. was probably the best in terms of just average per punt in a single yeah. season for Washington. I think Race Porter blew that out of the water because I yeah. want to say Rasp was like at 45 or 45, 46, something around there. Yeah. Yeah. It was in, when I went back, I didn't realize, I mean, it sounds stupid, but you know, we're in the middle of the season. I don't really look at it that closely. When I went in and did the research for that article, I I had no idea he averaged 48 yards, 48.5 yards per punt. That is insanity. And his longest was, I think I don't have the article up like 73. Or something yeah, like that. Even though he learned the rugby style, I don't think a lot of those. He didn't do it very much. Like, you know, I don't think a lot of those were like those extra roll type kicks where no. it's like he hits those ground ball knucklers that end up, you know, getting like 20, 30, 40 yards of roll. I think most of those were pretty standard traditional hey, Chris, punts. Chris, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on special teams and punts because we don't have a lot of time here, but, uh, the longest punt I ever saw was it, was it Sean Douglas that did the one in, uh, who was the at one that did Oklahoma at, at Oklahoma when it, was, it traveled 80 yards in the air yeah. that day? And yeah. that was, that was wind that helped, but that was still a 65 yard punt yeah. in the air, regardless of wind. If it was dead still, he would have hit that 65. So, but it went 80. I still remember just going, that is literally the longest punt I've ever seen right. in person. So, um, but, and the longest one I've ever seen in per, or on TV was the one that, uh, Randall, Cunningham did where it was like a 98 yard punt because it it was in a windy day in Buffalo and it rolled like 40 yards. So okay, I think I think tr- yeah. I think technically that is the o- that is the longest a punt can go. Yeah, I, I don't think go it can go any further. One. Yeah, basically. Right? It can, I mean, theory, in theory, right? It can only go from yeah. the one to the one. Yeah, I mean, it was the longest punt I'd ever seen. He kicked it from his own end zone, and it rolled all the way to the – it was inside the five. I know that. It was insanity. But anyway, yeah. off of that stuff. So, um, But Race Porter was just so consistent for Washington last year. He was the holder on kicks. Um, You know, just kind of did everything. And that's not easy to do. For a left-footed kicker, when you're a right-handed person – to hold for a left-footed, uh, left-footed kicker is not easy because you're doing everything reversed. And so, um, you know, he was just a versatile guy. He was the one, he, uh, Chris, how many times has the punter or kicker been one of the spokesmen for the team? Yeah, and he no, was last year. Yeah. No, so, he, he, was a, he was a phenomenal leader. Yeah. No question about it. Did a lot of things off the field. Um, obviously people have talked about his, um, the clothing line that he's done where he's, where he's gotten, a lot of support from some of the yeah. some of the other players, like Miles um, Gaskin's been a big, very big supporter of it. Um, so yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, the loss of of Race Porter, and that is, I think, what you're kind of you're pointing to is the fact that the irony is not not very often do you ever think of losing a punter as being that big of a deal, but in this particular case, I think it's going to show yeah. itself up in a number of ways. And, yeah, because Tr- Tristan Brown and Keith, Kevin Ryan. Might be end up being really good punters. They do not have the leg uh, Race Porter had, um, you know, and how he could change flip the field for you. And those guys can still do it, but I don't think it's going to be on the consistent basis that Race Porter was able to do. One thing I wanted to ask real quick though is that you mentioned one of his other attributes was that he was the holder. Yeah. Who, who do you think is going to be the holder for special teams um, for spring? Yeah. One of the other guys that was doing it as one of the backups was Sawyer Racanelli. Yeah. And now obviously Sawyer's gone. gone. Yeah. And by the way, sorry to hear about him 
tearing up his knee again. It sounds like he did that out at Montana. Um, gonna miss the year this year, but, um, back to the holder. I honestly don't know. Um, I'm thinking maybe one of the walk on, um, wide receivers. Um, okay. I know that there's some that have, uh, tried it out. I don't know their names right now, but, um, those, those are guys that always tended to be, um, they always seem to have a walk on, uh, guy who could end up being the holder for you. So, um, could Trista Brown be that guy? Sure. I, I don't think Kevin Ryan can because he's probably never done it since he was the kicker. Right. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll just, that's another thing that we're going to have to keep an eye on, Chris. Who's going to be the main return guys? Who's going to be the holder? We just well, don't know. I think the main return guys, Giles Jackson. Most likely. Most likely, especially now the punt is going to be different because that was yeah. with Duffy, but you know, but, as far as kicks, I mean, obviously Giles Jackson is going to be yeah. your main kick returner. Yeah. Um, but punt return is going to be real, real interesting. I think the, the, one of the guys you mentioned, Dyson McCutcheon, yeah. I think that could be a really interesting. Yeah. And that's why I listed him right behind Giles Jackson because Giles yeah. Jackson did most of the punt returning last year, but that's because they didn't want to get McDuffie hurt after he dinged himself up on a punt return. So they didn't want to, they didn't want to risk him anymore. They couldn't lose him anymore. So they, they put Giles Jackson back there and he only averaged 5.5 per punt return. Right. Or I think it was 6.3, but it was 5.5 for the entire team. But, um, yeah, I don't, I, I think they need to find something different. The problem is, and I mentioned this in the article, Husky fans got used to the greatest punt returner of all time in NCAA history in Dante Pettis. Yep. And we're used to a guy who could turn nothing into something. We're used to a guy who's going to get you 15, 20 yards every time he touches the ball on a, on a punt return, it seems seemingly. And now we're back to, you know, less than, you know, less than seven yards per return. And that, that needs to change because that you need to be at, at the very least a threat. And I don't think Washington was even a threat to do anything last year. We're going to come back after a quick short break. We're going to talk a little bit about kind of recruiting side by side with spring practice, but we're also going to be kind of breaking down the, um, the actual schedule. And all the things that are going to be upcoming, all the things as Washington fans, you guys need to know about moving forward because this next week's going to be really, really hot and heavy with a lot of information. So we'll be right back. This is Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund with Dogman Radio. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, along with Scott Eklund. We're finishing up our last kind of podcast, preview podcast, before the beginning of spring football Washington. Always a really, really, really busy time, a fantastic time to kind of, uh, I don't know, dust off the cobwebs and kind of get back out there and get going. Um, you know, this is going to be a fantastic time because this this next week is going to be super, super busy. Um, not just because of the spring practices, which start on Wednesday, but on Monday, there's going to be a press conference with not only Coach DeBoer, but also uh, Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator, and Chuck Morrell, one of the co-defensive coordinators. So look forward to a lot of information coming out on that on Monday in the afternoon. And then on Tuesday, there's going to be Washington's Pro Day, which is all the guys that are uh, trying to get to uh, the draft and trying to be all, you know, kind of show up in front of all the NFL scouts and coaches. And I'm sure guys from, from the Seahawks like Pete Carroll and, and John Schneider and all those guys are typically there every season. And so we get a chance to see a lot of those guys work out, not just the guys that worked out in the combine like Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon and uh, like Luke Wattenberg and, and those guys that worked out there. But hopefully we get a chance to see some of these other guys and obviously Kate Otten, for instance, Kate Otten didn't really work out at all, um, because he's still rehabbing an injury. Um, will he be ready to go for, for pro day? We'll see. We'll see how much he works out. We'll see if he just shows up and does some interviews and things like that. So pro day is always a really, really interesting day because it leads right into the first day of spring football, which is on Wednesday, March 30th in the morning. And, 
you know, obviously 15 practices culminating with the spring preview on Saturday, April 30th, which will be, uh, shown live on the Pac-12 networks at 11, starts at 11.30 in the morning on Saturday. And, um, you know, those 15 practices go by really, really fast, Scott, as we know. Yeah. And, uh, a couple developments out of it. Um, first that it, it really does feel like the new staff is, they're not going to be as open as Jimmy Lake was. Let's put it that way. Nope. Jimmy or at least Lake, not to start. At least right. not to they, start. They, you know, Jimmy Lake, you know, allowed us to watch all the practices, all that stuff. Now there's a trade off there because we're not going to be able to see much of practices, at least to start, but we, it does feel like we're going to get a lot more, uh, access to the players, mm-hmm. which hopefully that will end up being a really, really good thing for, for Washington fans as well. Obviously is whether it's a substitute for getting a chance to see them practice and see what's going on in person, we can debate that, but. I don't know what your particular opinion on that is, Scott. I think I think we should have both. We don't need to have one or the other. <laughs> I well, think apparently they feel like you have exactly. to have one. You know what? It's their team. They can run it how they want. I just completely disagree with it. I I think they should they should have it open. Not they don't have to open up everything to the public, but every Saturday or maybe every Friday should be for the public. Um and and then but the the media should be allowed in. We know the policies. We know what they don't they do and don't want reported. So we don't do that. Um, and, but there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to go out and see what the new thing looks like. I know one of the reasons I've been able to garner from talking to some different people was they didn't want, um, it reported how many reps each quarterback got, you know, the scrutiny of why, why did, why, why did you see, why did, uh, Michael Penix get, you know, 20 reps with the ones and Dylan Morris got five and Sam Hewer got none, you know, in a practice. And you, I don't think they wanted that. And so they just don't want to answer those questions. And I'm like, okay, well, couldn't you just say, we're just going through the competition and just be that be your answer. I, I don't get it. Anyway, that is what it is. Um, but it is nice to have more access to the players. I will give them kudos for that. Although I think it should have been that way all along, but, um, you know, cause last year, the last two years, we've gotten a coach and two players and that's it. And everybody got the same stuff. Whereas now we're going to be more in a gaggle where we're around, where we can pull off guys to the side and get our own quotes and ask them our own line of questioning instead of having to worry about what other people are trying to do. And so, um, I love that. I love that aspect of it and that we can do some different things with that. So that'll be fun. It'll probably have a few more features on the players since we won't be able to give you much in the way of, uh, recruiting and, or I'm sorry, uh, practice analysis. So, um, you know, but I don't like the trade off. I don't think it's the right decision, but it's their team. They can make what they can do what they want to do. And I'm welcome to my opinion as well. And they don't yeah, really I, care what my I, opinion is. So. I feel, I, yeah, I feel like it's the old meme. It's like, why can't we have both? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, right. You know, it's like, yeah. Um, you know, but the irony is, so I asked a couple of my Fresno contacts down there that were really helpful when DeBoer was getting hired on, on some insight on him and his staff. They said that DeBoer picked it up that, that policy of not really allowing the media in for full practices, but only like for the first half hour or a little bit more. Um, from Jeff Tedford. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And the irony is, is how this stuff all comes full circle is apparently Tedford, at least the way the rumor is, apparently Jeff Tedford got that from Chris Peterson. So. Yeah, but, but I mean, Chris Peterson for spring ball, I, I remember being in there for practices. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I mean, yeah. he may have, well, and again, the, this may be a situation where this is how divorce starts. And, 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 and gives himself the ability to open things up more and more as we go based on what yeah. he sees, based on the fact that, we're, you know, nothing's getting reported, that kind of thing. We'll see. I mean, he's, he's obviously giving himself some room to move, which is fine. And, and like yeah. you said, ultimately, ultimately this is, it's his show. Yeah. And, and he only gets a, a, he only gets one chance to make a first impression in terms of the season, in terms of, you know, winning, losing games, in terms of putting the, product on the field that he wants in put in terms of putting his stamp on the program. So that's, you know, that's, that's his job. And if he feels like this is the way he's got to do it, so be it. That's fine. Um, 
I really hope people don't look at Jimmy Lake's thing and go, well, that's why they went four and eight because Jimmy Lake. Oh, they did. Practices. They they are they were talking about that. Look what that Jimmy Lake did. It didn't is, work. That is incredible to me. That is yeah. incredible. Um, that so, has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, that's a whole different podcast. Yeah, I know. Much different for a much different time. Um, let's finish this up with recruiting. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of recruiting side by side. We already know that there's one really big heavy hitter coming in this weekend in Jaden Wayne from Tacoma, mm-hmm. yep. who's going to be on campus. He's already out there um, talking about it, which is fantastic. Um, tell me a little bit about because because Brandon Huffman put a great story out on Dogman. It's on our front page. You guys should go check it out about how they're getting ready to handle the recruiting load alongside all the things that they're going to try to get done during spring practice. Yeah. Um, like you said, Chris, Jaden Wayne, edge rusher from Lincoln High School, um, number one prospect in the state for 2023. He'll be up on campus this weekend, um, and that'll be big. Um, you know, they've got the, you know, the, the 2021 and 2022 cycles didn't go that great. And so I think they're trying to make as much of a splash as possible and, and bring some of these guys in. Um, next week, uh, Michael Banuelos is supposed to be in town. Um, I know one of their top corner prospects, Malachi Crawford from Oxnard Pacifica is supposed to be up. And then San Diego, uh, Cathedral Catholic athlete, Victory Johnson, who's more of a linebacker, I think, or possibly a Husky guy. He's going to, those guys are going to be up that, that next week, um, probably for the first day or two of practices. So, um, you know, that's kind of, where things are going, they're, they're really kind of ramping things up. Um, one of the reasons why Jimmy Lake opened up so many things to the public was so that they could have recruits on campus because they weren't allowed to have recruits on campus unless it was open to the public. But I think that's changed this year. Right. And, and so that's why they're able to still have these recruits on campus and not have the public in. So... Um, and then, uh, you know, the following week, so the second week of spring football, Christian Pierce, a safety out of Rancho Cucamonga will be up. Um, Blake Purchase from, uh, Cherry Creek and, uh, and then Jaden Rashada is expected to come up. He's a top qu- quarterback on Washington's prospect list. Um, but he's a top on almost everybody's prospect list right now. Right. And, and people a, should, yeah. people should remember that his brother, who Washington had Roman, defensive yep. back Roman had has just committed, probably signed by this point with BYU. Yeah, yeah, and that isn't because Washington didn't. Uh, that wasn't because Washington did a poor job. They just they didn't have room for him, and so that's why they let, allowed him to go to uh, BYU. Plus, I, I had heard that there was because he was a JUCO kid, he had some academic stuff. Not where he's a bad student, but he didn't have the right classes to get into UW. So that's something else, uh, why they were able, why they were passing on him a little bit. So, um, middle of April, you're going to see a three star defensive back, our defensive lineman come in, Terrence Green out of, uh, uh, Cyprus, Texas. And then, uh, tight end Spencer Shannon, uh, he told me this, but, uh, uh, Brandon also reported on it that, uh, modern day, uh, tight end Spencer Shannon will be on campus. And then the last week of the month, they're expected to have in Trey Wilson, the defensive end out of Garland, Texas, that I just wrote a story on relatively recently, and uh, Mesa uh, tight end or uh, yeah tight end Jackson Bowers. That's a guy who um, has had Washington pretty high on his list, but he's one of the more talented tight end prospects in the West this year. He'll be here that last weekend. My guess is he's he'll be here for the spring game. So. Um, lots of stuff going on, Chris, on the recruiting front. You're going to see more offers go out. The coaches aren't only going to be coaching spring ball, going through film of practices, going through, uh, cut ups and all those different things, coaching up their players, player meetings, all that. They're also going to be doing recruiting. And that's going to be a huge thing for this, for the, for them heading into the spring because a lot of these kids are starting to schedule their official visits for May and June. And, uh, once the coaches get out on the road, They'll get out on the road and then they're, they're, they're going to start scheduling some of these official visits for June. And, and you're probably going to see a handful of guys, you know, five, 10, maybe 15 guys come in for official visits, I think. Um, and because if a guy's going to decide in the summer, then you better get him in for an official visit so that you can get in, you can have a chance to get him. Otherwise, 
you know, you're taking your chance that he'll commit and then possibly visit you later on. And that's just not a good gamble in a lot of different ways. Yeah, no doubt about that. What, you talk about guys lining up official visits and one thing, um, you know, a month ago, we would have thought that Lake Stevens running back Jaden Lamar would have been a cert to, to, to set up an official visit with Washington. Now, a few days, uh, ago, he puts out his top nine, uh, and Washington's not in it. Um, yeah, this yeah. is, this is a situation where the, the new staff is already starting to kind of understand the stakes of recruiting in the Pac-12, maybe as opposed to the Mountain West, for instance, and learning that, you know, this, this, the loyal to the soil campaign is great and it's fantastic to target those guys. But if you end up taking a commitment from another player from out of state, like Washington did with Bakersfield running back Tybo Rogers, that this all of a sudden could have some negative PR consequences. I'm not saying whether Rodgers is a better back or a worse back than Lamar. I think obviously time will tell on that. But when you have those two thoughts kind of side by side, you know, a lot of times the Washington fans are going to sit here and go, well, if everything's being equal, why wouldn't you try to make a push for the in-state guy as opposed to the out-of-state guy? And Sometimes you got to take the bird in hand. I, I, I'd like to get your take on on how things have gone. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they had to take the guy, the bird in hand. You know, is better than two in the bush, right? Isn't that the saying? So, um, yeah. Well, in this case, maybe none in the bush. <laughs> yeah, they could strike out on both of them eventually. You never. Yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. You never know. So, and that has happened. You know, to other teams and to Washington. So, I mean, Lemar has Arizona, Louisville, Miami, Michigan, Notre Dame, Oregon. Texas A&M, UCLA, and uh, Wazoo in yep. there. And, and a lot of people were surprised by Wazoo. And I think one stupid comment was that it's it's special to be out-recruited by Wazoo. They are not being out-recruited by Wazoo. The thing is he's had a relationship with that coach for a while, and he hasn't had the relationship with uh, Lee Marks for that long. And they're still building that relationship. And he came out with a story, and Huffman came out with a story recently that said, hey, I'm still building that relationship. These are my top nine schools right now. He goes, that might not be the case later on. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see. But think about this, too. Lee Marks wasn't recruiting Jaden Lemar before he got to the University of Washington. He had been recruiting Tybo Rogers for a while. Yes. And he knows that kid, and he's been recruiting him for a while and felt he'd be a good fit in the system. So that's why I went out and got him and took his commit because he knows him real well. He's still getting to know Jaden Lemar, and I do know that they want to take two running backs in this class, and I do know that they would like to get Jaden Lemar in the class. But if it doesn't happen, it isn't because Washington dropped the ball. It's because Jaden Lemar feels like it's better for him to go to a school that doesn't have another you know, running back that the, his coach already knew and has known for a long time in the system that, uh, you know, in the class. And I, I think that's just the way things are going to be. And that's why I think some of those other schools are going to have that is because he, those coaches have been around for a little bit and he's gotten to know them better. I don't think there's any doubt they're trying to remake that running backs room. I mean, when you bring in a mm-hmm. guy like Aaron Dumas from New Mexico, for instance, that had ties to the Fresno State program, to ties to Lee Marks, because Marks recruited him out of high school when yeah. he was in El Paso. Um, that It's going to be interesting how they remake that that running backs room. And assuming they do take two running backs for this class, and I think that's a fair assumption given the fact that they're they've – There's going to be attrition. They've yeah. clear, well, there's going to be attrition, and the attrition is going to come because there's clear signs coming out of that room that it's being remade. I mean, that, 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 that room is taking on a different shape. There's no, to me, there's no doubt about it, reading the signs. So if we assume that they are going to take two running backs in this class, and they do already have a running back commit in Tybo Rogers, and assuming that that commitment sticks, they're able to maintain him, give us your best guess on whether or not you think Washington gets back into it with Jaden Lamar, and he ultimately takes an official visit to Montlake. Oh boy. Um, I think they do have a chance to get him on campus for an official visit. Yes, I, I do think that's going to be the case. But, you know, a, a lot of it's going to be how they feel that he's – is he truly trying to set up, you know, you know, keeping us in there? Or is he doing it just because he's the hometown guy and doesn't want to get a lot of flack from the local fan base or people that he knows or whatever like that? 
you know, and I, Jaden Lemar is a great kid. I'm not saying that would be, um, you know, that, that he's doing those things. I'm just saying that the coaching staff is going to have to determine whether they feel that way or not. And if they do, then are they going to just say, okay, well, you go do your thing. We'll take you back when, or, you know, we'll, we'll talk again when you're in the portal in a couple of years or, or that's the hope, right? So, you know, we'll just have to, we'll just have to see. I don't, I'm not saying Washington even feels that way. I'm just saying there's a lot of different possibilities. And for me to predict that they'll get an official visit, I think they've got a chance. Do I think the chances are good? No, but I think they've got a chance to do it. Yeah. And I think the natural follow up on that would be is, is that, does that official visit, if it does come, does it happen before or after he's already made a commitment somewhere else? Well, he told me he, he, he said he didn't have a timeline for a decision, but most kids want to decide before their senior year. Um, yeah. not all of them, but most of them want to do that. And so the odds of him taking it out into the fall are not great. And if that doesn't happen, I think Washington's going to be hard pressed to, to, uh, be, the call. And then second of all, I think they're going to be hard pressed to get him to reconsider his commitment and, and, and come and visit them. So, you know, I, I think, I think it's, I don't want to say long shot, like it's like you're way behind, but yeah, I I think it's going to be tough for Washington to, to reel him in. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of big time recruiting developments over the course of the, of the, of the many, many months not just official visits now and going in, but obviously going into December, mid-year signing period, and then obviously um, February for the regular signing period. So obviously a lot of things to work on. Yeah. Jaden Lamar's recruitment is simply going to be one in a, in a in a vast number of recruitments that Washington fans should definitely be paying attention to. Scott, fantastic stuff. We're going to wrap it up there. Um, with spring football coming, guys, you really need to get on our mailing list. So all you have to do is send an email to huskystadium at gmail.com. Again, huskystadium, which is one word, huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. You don't have to put anything in the body of the email. Just put subject line newsletter, and we will add you to our list, and so you can get all of the updates every single time there is a practice out there. So for the 15 practices, you'll get at least 15 newsletters. We'll be sending out newsletters on the off days. Because, like Scott said, with the with the number of guys that we're going to be talking to, we're going to have plenty of content on the off days as well, individual player interviews, storylines, that kind of stuff, all sorts of things to follow on Dogman.com as we go through this spring football with you. So for Scott Eklund, this is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. Go dogs. 